You should not attack his character just because we don't understand why it is that he placed certain obstacles in our life. Let us not make the mistake of painting God as the villain just because he has chosen to do some things in our life that we don't prefer, that we don't like. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll be reading um, five verses here. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 to 9. And then we'll skip on over to verse 16. We'll be reading 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 as well. And let's read it all out loud together. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And then in verse 16, we'll read the 16 to 18. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now the sermon is actually kind of a, a little bit of a throwback to uh, the first ever sermon that I ever preached and beyond the pulpit. It was... Um, popcorn preaching of 2014, and the, back then I only had to preach for five minutes. A little bit different now. <laughs> but I wanted to uh, flesh it out a bit more as an adult, this sermon. But does anybody here tonight know what happened at midnight on January 5th, 2020? Anyone know? Now, I didn't think so. Let me paraphrase this event and let me retell it to you. That night, I remember that I was already in bed. I was already on the cusp of falling asleep. Then, all of a sudden, I heard a crash. Now, in most circumstances, I would have immediately woken up, got out of bed, checked the crash, see what was happening. But I was tired. You know, when you're tired, you don't really care if you're being robbed. Okay? <laughs> but you don't really care as much. And so I assumed that it was just my dog doing something he wasn't supposed to. So I continued going to sleep. But just a couple moments after the crash, after I heard the, something break, I heard my brother's room, which was at the bottom of our staircase, open. Followed by these words, Nahulog si Atehana. Nahulog si Atehana, meaning in English, Atehana, or my sister, fell down. Now, when I, when I heard my brother yelling that, all of my fatigue disappeared. I immediately got out of bed. I banged on my sister's door, my other sister's door. I banged on my parents' door. And I woke them all up, just in case they didn't hear my brother. And all of us, even though we were tired, it's midnight, we all sprang into action when we heard my sister fell. And I still remember walking down the hallway, turning the corner down the stairs, heading towards the bottom of the stairs. And I saw at the bottom of the flight of the stairs, I saw my sister and the broken vase. Now, I didn't have my glasses, so I didn't realize the extent of the injury until I ran down and checked my sister. 
Now, one of my biggest weaknesses personally is seeing a lot of blood. Right? When it comes to seeing blood, I'm very weak and I get very queasy and I'm very, uh, I'm very pathet- uh, pathetic when it comes to seeing blood. But when I saw and went right beside my sister, again, I had no glasses, so I really looked, into, looked to her knee there and I saw uh, a wound, a big, uh, big wound that was caused. Basically, what happened is she was walking down the stairs, she slipped. And she crashed into the vase that we had at the bottom of the stairs. It was a very sharp glass vase, and she basically cut her knee open from that. The brother called 911 immediately, and the paramedics arrived very quickly to dress the wound and to bring my sister to the hospital. My parents and other sister drove and followed the ambulance, while my brother and I stayed to clean up the mess. And the point of this story is this. The reason why I tell this story it's because the title of my sermon tonight is Getting Knocked Down. Getting Knocked Down. Expect to get figuratively knocked down in life. I believe that it is a given to be dealt harsh blows throughout life. Life has its fair share of difficulties, but the thrust of this message is not whether we will be knocked down, because I, I, in my From my experience and from what I've observed, we will be knocked down. But how we should properly react to getting knocked down. Now, that night, and the reason why I told that story is, each member of my family had different reactions when we saw my sister at the bottom of the stairs, when we saw the injury. Every sibling I had, and my parents, we all had distinct reactions to my sister. And the reactions that we had that night mimic the common reactions that we have usually when we get dealt a harsh blow in life. When life knocks us down, the reactions that we had are very similar. And the goal of this sermon is to look at how we wrongly respond to life's hits. And then we'll finish with how we ought to respond. So let's begin in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time of worship and we Thank you for the blessed time of prayer that we just had. I pray this time that you empower me, and I pray that you would allow me to communicate your, your message well to the congregation. And I pray that you would speak to the hearts of uh, all those uh, here tonight and those watching online as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Now, the one who saw my sister first and the one who kind of alerted everybody else was my brother, okay? My brother was at the bottom of the stairs, and he was the one who heard the crash right outside. Now, my brother, if you don't know him, you don't know much about him, he's someone who, who he, he cares a lot about other people, especially or the family. He cares a lot about them, but he has trouble expressing it clearly and plainly. Now, my brother's reaction throughout this whole, whole ordeal was he got upset. He got angry. He got upset at my sister specifically for walking down the stairs with very little light. And he got upset that there was even a vase at the bottom of the stairs. Now, Anger, to many things, is a common response. When people get fired from their job, they lash out in anger. They get angry at the person who fired them. They trash their boss. They they trash their employees or fellow employees, and they get angry. When someone doesn't get what they want in life, they just start spewing lava out of their mouth. Verbal lava, you could say. Anger, along with jealousy, was the, the cause of the first Case of homicide in the Bible. Moses, 
when he was being knocked down by Israel's murmurings, when he was being uh, poured a, a constant, incessant complaining from the Israelites, he eventually, eventually that complaining got to him and he had to respond in anger. Not that he didn't have to, but he ended up responding in anger. In Numbers 20, 8 to 12, we see Moses being commanded by God to speak to the rock, to speak to the rock, and that action itself will bring forth water for the Israelites. God told Moses to just speak to the rock. But instead of doing what God had prescribed and commanded him to do, what did Moses do instead? He hit the rock twice. Israel's complaining, Israel's murmuring got to him, and he ended up responding and and kind of directing that anger towards God. You know what the cause, the results of that showing of anger? Moses wasn't allowed to lead the Israelites into the promised land. For 40 years, he was leading the Israelites in the wilderness. But at the end of his life, at the, at the closing of his life, he, 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 became angry toward, he became angry and he directed that towards God. And God didn't allow him to set foot into Canaan land, the promised land. Now, we know that Moses was an image of meekness. We know him to be one of the most submissive characters in the Bible. He was always uh, submitting his will and obeying God. We know that. He was a great man, but even the most mild-mannered man can be put into a situation that will test your temper. Now, all of us, many of us, if we were to be put into Moses' position, many of us would have been angry a long time ago. Imagine hundreds of thousands of Israelites always complaining, always has something bad to say about your leadership, always has something to to points out and criticize. Now, some, sometimes when I, I used to work in, a different, in different jobs, I would have coworkers, just one or two, that would just con- consistently complain, always just complaining about the manager, complaining about how hard work is. And even that, just two people, was enough to just almost make me lose my mind. You know, a lot of times I found myself just tuning out their voice or complaining. And that was just two people. Moses had to deal with this in the hundreds of thousands. Now, anger itself, if you look at the Bible, it's, it's, it's not a sin. Anger itself, the emotion, isn't a sin. We see in the Bible that God is an angry and jealous God. He's, a, he's God that shows His wrath when it's required. Christ Himself, He expressed anger. He was angry at those, for example, who made the house of God, the temple, into a, a place of merchandise. The temple was supposed to be to worship God, but the Sadducees had made it into a place where they could make money. And so he threw them all out of the temple. But he did not sin in his anger. So when is anger a sin? Anger becomes a sin because of the actions that we choose to take when overwhelmed with this emotion. Now, in my opinion, the three most overwhelming emotions that can control, completely control the actions of an individual is fear, love, and this last one is anger. People can completely change when they are afraid, 
you know, people who are usually confident, but they're afraid of public speaking, the moment they get up to the, the, in front of everybody, they just freeze up. And they're completely just a different person. People have done a lot of great things for love and a lot of wacky things for, for love as well. Completely changes a man. But this last one, some of the most mild-mannered individuals, some of the most meek individuals, some of the most quiet individuals, it can be really surprising when you see them angry. When you see them overtaken by anger. Some people, when they're angry, they start swearing like sailors. They start using God's name in vain, incessantly. They just start throwing out God's name in vain. They start swearing. They think of every single swear word in the world, and they use it in one sentence. Some, their anger is so fierce that they end up hurting other people. Many cases of domestic abuse, many cases of rape, many cases of homicide were all because of someone angry at another individual. Some say when they're in, in, their, their anger might not be as fierce to, to, to the extent that they hurt other people. So they find a way to hurt other people in a different manner. Some say words and insults that can never be recalled. That's something that I have been guilty of in the past. And someone once said this quote, Speak when you are angry, and you'll make the best speech that you'll ever regret. Speak when you are angry, and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. Before, obviously, sometimes I would let my anger control me. I would let my anger control my tongue. I would let my anger control what I would dictate. And when that emotion subsides, a lot of times I'm filled with a lot of regrets of what I said. Unfortunately, I can't just recall it. I can't just go back in time and recall those words. Some, in their anger, they ruin and sever relationships and friendships for good, all in the heat of the moment. Turn with me to Psalm 37.8. And we see a clear command here. Psalm 37.8. And it says, Seize from anger. And forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Though anger itself isn't a sin, it's such an uncontrollable emotion that if you entertain yourself to be angry, when you allow yourself to be angry, mo- mo- the majority of people will not be able to control that anger. And many will end up sinning and hurting others because of their anger. One baseball executive once said, Keep your temper. A decision made in anger is almost never, it's never sound. A decision made in anger is never sound. Now this first reaction, when God places an obstacle on your path, do not let anger rule over your actions. Because once again, that emotion subsides, before you will be many regrets because you decided to choose and respond to life's obstacles in anger. Now, the second improper response here is panic, is panic, to panic. Now, in that story with my sister, the one who panicked was my other sister, uh, Christiane. She's someone who is usually given into her emotions. When seeing my sister's injury and seeing that open wound, and obviously there was a lot of blood, she immediately panicked. She broke into tears. She started crying immediately. Now, when people are overwhelmed with their emotions, they obviously start to break down. They start crying uncontrollably. It's a very natural response. Panic does not seem as negative 
as a response compared to anger. You know, for example, it's, uh, when you see someone in public reacting in anger, a lot of times we think to ourselves, oh, there's something wrong with that guy. That guy's got some issues. He needs to control himself. When we see a person angry, that's kind of what the, the general thought that we have internally. But over here, but when we see someone panicking, we don't really think badly of them. In fact, we feel for them. We kind of give them mercy. We feel bad for them. When we see someone breaking down in public, we, we feel bad for them, and we kind of want to help them. So panicking is a more acceptable response. But may I propose that panicking can actually lead to a greater dilemma. And I'll explain this through, a, uh, through an article that I read. On June 6, 1944, a fire broke out at a performance of the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus in Hartford, Connecticut. About 168 people died, and many of whom were trampled by audience members trying to flee the scene. Others were found to have uh, asphyxiated due to being buried under dozens of bodies. Only a small percentage of the casualties actually died from fire or smoke inhalation. In virtually every natural disaster, terrorist attack, or fire, there is always the risk of mass panic, which can often cause more casualties than the disaster itself. While fight or flight is a natural human response when people think they are in danger, this instinctual reaction may lead us to make very unwise decisions, especially if you are part of a large group of people trying to do the same thing. Even when fire escapes and exits are clearly marked, the danger associated with panic cannot be underestimated. The reason why I think panic can be an even worse response to when God decides to put a harsh obstacle in your path. Because a lot of times when we're panicked, we completely forget about everything that we know about God. We forget everything about His promises. And it leads to us making unwise and extremely, extremely foolish decisions. You know, unfortunately, I see a lot of car accident clips on YouTube or on Facebook or whatever they may be. And a lot of these car accident clips, these people who end up in an accident, a lot of times, it's because they, were, they started panicking. They were pressured by the car behind them to, to make that left turn already. The people have been waiting for them to make that left turn, but it's a busy street and they can't find a space in between. They're feeling the panic and pressure from the cars behind them. And what do they do? They just find the, any moment now and they just gun it, trying to make that left turn lane. But because of their panic, they no longer are that focused on the cars and how fast they're coming at them. And they make that left turn lane, uh, they make that left turn haphazardly, and boom, they get T-boned. A lot of car accidents are like that. People are panicked, and they completely lose, con- lose uh, thought of everything that they know about driving. It's very dangerous. But panicking, in terms of our, when, we got, when we get dealt a harsh blow, it reveals a lack of trust for God. When we panic and when we start uh, getting overwhelmed, it's because we are forgetting about the promises that God has put in His Bible regarding trials, like Romans 8.28. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 
And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that phrase, be careful for nothing, means don't be anxious, don't be worrisome about life's trials. Often breakdowns and panic attacks are the results of us letting anxiety pile up and accumulate. There's no doubt that in our, in our daily life, there's a lot of things that can cause us stress. School, work, familiar, familiar relationships, friendships. There's a lot of things that can let us become stressed. But we will only panic and break down if, is, if we let those stresses accumulate. It's, not, it's kind of like allowing the garbage to stay full and never taking it out. You have to get rid of that stress by going to God. And that is why we stress prayer. Because that is the only way to get rid of the stresses in our life. Don't panic when you get dealt a strong blow. But trust God. The third improper response was this. It was my parents' reaction to my sister. Their reaction to seeing my sister was grieving. They grieved for my sister. Now, it's a natural response for a parent to grieve when they see their precious child get harmed or get hurt. They grieved for my sister because they knew that it's for her, it's been an obstacle after obstacle after obstacle now in terms of health, in terms of all of these issues. And now here's another hurdle that she has to overcome, this injury. It's a natural response for a parent to grieve for her hurt child. Similarly, grieving is a very natural response to getting knocked down. Many Bible characters grieved after being dealt a harsh blow. David, Elijah, Nehemiah, even Jesus himself wept. Grieving isn't entirely an improper response, unlike panicking, unlike anger. Grieving isn't as all-consuming as anger. You don't lose complete control over your actions when you're grieving. It's not as thoughtless as panicking. But the danger in grieving is this. The danger in grieving is its duration. Now this will vary from person to person, but generally when I get angry, I get angry, it spikes quickly, but it spikes and it dies down just as fast. Panic is also often short-lived. The moment you feel safe, that panic immediately disappears. But grief, more so than the other two responses, it lingers for a long time. How long do you find yourself grieving when there's been a hard situation in your life? Now, again, I'm not saying at all not to grieve because it is a natural response. Some situations in life will require more grieving. The death of a loved one compared to failing a test, those are completely two different levels of grieving. But in both cases, you must move on from your grief. Your grief, unfortunately, will not bring your loved one back. Nor will it make your test score change. But if you keep, continue to grieve, you will never continue to progress in life. You will never be able to actually achieve, your, achieve success in your further studies because you are so occupied by past things. Jeremiah 10.19. Jeremiah 10.19, which says, Woe is me for my hurt, 
My wounds is grievous, but I said, truly this is a grief, and I must bear it. We must learn to bear and keep on moving even when we have a grieving heart. Even when our heart is heavy, we can't allow that heavy heart to stop us from completely serving God, from completely moving on in life. For how shall we advance if we let that which cannot be changed hold us back? Psalm 147.3, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. It will take years sometimes for certain wounds in your heart to heal, but eventually they will. So just keep moving forward in the meantime. And the last improper response to obstacles in our life is this. Questioning God. After the shock of seeing so much blood went away, my reaction is that I became quite introspective. Compared to my siblings, I'm, when it comes to very, like, situations like these, I actually am one of the more quiet ones. I don't talk as much. I don't yell. I don't do anything of that. I, became, I start thinking in my mind about the situation happening. And I remember being beside my sister or just right, right um, near her. And in my mind, I began to have a conversation with God. And the bulk of my conversation with God was this. It was me doubting his will. I kept thinking in my mind, Lord, why did you allow my sister to get injured? You know that she already has trouble with medical stuff, with ataxia. And she already has trouble walking to begin with because of her condition. And now you choose to allow her to get injured, further debilitating the ability, her ability to walk. Why, Lord, did you allow that to happen? Why couldn't you give that to someone like me who has never been injured in my life? Why did you have to give it to my sister who's already been going through different uh, sufferings? Why, why, why? And I just kept doubting God's decision there. Now that doubting, though I was outwardly just doubting, if you look at the motive there, I was actually attacking God's character. I was doubting His will. I was questioning His choices. All inappropriate reactions. Outwardly, you could say that I was calmer than the rest of my family. But inwardly, I had the worst response. Because I was questioning and attacking God's will. 1 Corinthians 2.16, the first part of that verse says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? Can anybody here raise their hands tonight and say, they know completely the God, God's mind and God's, God's will? For everybody here? Can anybody confidently raise their hand and say, they know God in and out, and know his ways in and out 100%. Not a single person can raise their hand because we don't know, we can't understand fully God's will. Now we try instructing God. Romans 9, 20 to 21 says, Nay, but O man, what, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the, the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? We are God's creation. We have no right to tell the Creator what to do with our life. Everything is according to His will. We should not question His will. 
It should not attack his character just because we don't understand why it is that he placed certain obstacles in our life. Let us not make the mistake of painting God as the villain just because he has chosen to do some things in our life that we don't prefer, that we don't like. You know, if someone were to give me a script of everything that would happen in the next 10 years, and in the past, when I was, imagine if I was 10 years old and someone went up to me, this is what's going to happen, everything that's going to happen before you turn 22. Every event, everything that will happen, here it is on this paper. And you know, I could look at that paper and I could tell that person, can you just eliminate all of this hurt? Can you eliminate this time where my heart was heavy? Can you eliminate this particular event where I felt depressed? Can you just eliminate all the bad and just leave the good for me? Maybe I'll turn out better. But you know, all of those hurts, all of those things, that obstacles that have been placed by God in my life, in my past, all of those have worked to shape me into the man that I am right now. God is working. Sometimes he puts obstacles in my life to make me better because I'm in the wrong path. Don't paint God as the villain just because he placed an obstacle that is hard on you. Just because, just because you can't understand his plan doesn't give you the right to doubt his goodness and justice. Now we looked at the four improper responses. We looked at anger. We looked at panicking. We looked at questioning God. And we looked at grieving. So what is the proper response? And the last response that night that I observed was my sister Hannah's own response. The one who got injured. Though everybody around her was losing their cool, losing their tempers, some were panicking and crying, some were quiet and introspective. Do you know who remained calm and composed throughout this whole time? It was the one bleeding. It was the one injured. It was my sister, though she was in that state, who remained calm and composed the entire time. Even when the paramedics arrived and she had to kind of give the breakdown of the situation, she was the only one who actually had everything composed to be able to explain the situation to the paramedics. She was even making jokes with the paramedics. Completely calm, completely tranquil. Out of everybody in that room, you would have expected her to be the most panicked, to be the most upset, to be the one grieving because, she, because of her injury, to be the one questioning God. But out of everybody in that room, it was my sister who had the most proper reaction to getting knocked down. To remain calm and tranquil. Romans 8.28, let's turn there. Romans 8.28, I mean all of this, this is personally my, my life verse. This has helped me and rescued me from a lot of dark times. This verse alone. And I know it has helped many of you as well. And we know that all things work together for what? For good. To who? To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. Not just when you are at the top of the mountain, but when God decides to knock you down, give thanks. Because you don't know what God is using that obstacle for. 
Psalm 56.3 says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In Proverbs 3.5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. The reason why we get angry, the reason why we panic, the reason why we grieve for so long, the reason why we question and doubt God is because we lean unto our own understanding. Instead of trying to understand what, what, what God has put, the principles that he has put in the Bible for us, instead of trying to understand God's will, we lean unto our own understanding. We lean unto our own logic. And that's when we get improper responses. The last passage I will ask you to turn to is Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. I'm going to put, it, put the sermon into a landing now. 43, and we'll be reading the first three verses. And may I ask all of us to read this verse out loud together. Isaiah 43, 1 to 3. And we'll just be reading that first line of verse 3. And let's begin. But now, thus saith the Lord. Sorry. But did I read the... So 43, verses 1 to 3. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. And we'll just read this first line in verse 3. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Sometimes we forget that Jesus did not only save us from our sins. Jesus didn't only just save us from eternal damnation. But he can save us from our fears. He can save us from our sorrows, from our anxiety, from our anger. He can save us from the emotions that overwhelm us. And folks, the way to gain victory over our emotions, the way to, the way to be able to remain calm even after the, the world's worst storms, after the world's greatest blows, the way to remain calm is to keep your eyes on Jesus. When we have our eyes set on Him, fixed and completely focused on Jesus, the storms that are whirling around about us, they won't seem as bad because we know the Savior. We can look at the Savior amidst the storms. And we see a perfect story that shows this. Peter, one of the disciples, they were stuck in a boat. A great storm was all around them. Their ship could get, uh, could get capsized at any moment now. And the disciples and Peter, far out in the, the, the Sea of Galilee, they see a figure walking towards the boat. In the middle of the storm, they see a figure walking on the water. And who was that figure? It was Jesus. And Jesus, coming to their aid, sees the disciples and invites Peter to also walk in the water. This is a one-in-a-lifetime one in chance to be able to walk on water. And Peter took it. He stepped out of the boat in faith and he took maybe a couple steps into the water, walking, even in the midst of a storm, he was walking on the water. But the moment that he stopped looking at Jesus and then he took a look around, he realized that the waves were so tall, the wind was so powerful. The moment he took his eyes off Jesus and into the storm. What happened to him? He fell down into the water 
and he had to be rescued by Jesus. The moment you take your eyes off the Savior, the storm will overwhelm you. You will get knocked down and you will stay down if you don't keep your gaze on Jesus. As I said in the beginning, getting knocked down is inevitable. You read the stories of the men and women in the Bible, you read the Christian, the famous Christian authors and the biographies, they all have been knocked down. They've all been dealt harsh blows in life. Sometimes we get knocked down because God is trying to increase our faith, testing us in order to grow us. And other times he's put, he's dealt us, dealt a harsh blow because he's trying to correct and chasten us because of our sin. But whatever God's motive may be in knocking us down, know that he is only knocking us down for a moment. God will never knock us out. In boxing, getting knocked out, the moment you get KO'd, instant loss. The winner is your opponent. You're, you're out, you're good. Even if you wake up 10 seconds later in boxing, the moment you get knocked out, you're done for. And God will never set us for failure or instant defeat. He's not going to place a trial in our life that we are never going to be able to overcome and conquer. God is not a mean God. Instead, God will present obstacles in our life that may knock us out of our feet, but He knows that we are capable of overcoming that hurdle. In boxing, a knockdown doesn't mean you lost the fight. You can get up. You can see boxers, when after they get knocked down, you can see them struggling to regain their senses. You can see them main, struggling, maintaining their balance. They're kind of limping around. It takes them a while to fully stand, but guess what? They stood back up. They still can make a comeback. They only lose when they refuse to get back up and they choose to stay on the boxing floor. Joe Fraser, when he went up against George Foreman, he was knocked down four times. In the span of two rounds, he got, four, he got hit with four knockdown punches. Each of these would have been enough to knock out anybody else. But Joe Fraser, he bounced back up each and every single time he was put to the floor. And his resilience was lauded by everybody. And that is what we need to tonight, is resilience to get back up. Heralding to the verse that I opened up with, and then we're done. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-9 we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And this last phrase sums up this sermon. We are cast down, but not destroyed. We may be cast down in life, but God will never allow us to be destroyed. He will never put us in a situation that is meant to destroy and completely put us out of commission. Instead of anger, instead of panicking, instead of grieving, instead of questioning and doubting Him, let us remain calm when we get knocked down. To simply get back up through the strength that He gives and to keep on fighting and running the race that is set before us. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.